Good morning. If you've got a Bible, turn to the book of James. Turn to the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 1 for the next several weeks, so just if you haven't already been reading it, just go ahead and do that a few times, and then, you know, pay attention to what I'm doing again after that. So this morning, I have a really important question for you. Uh, And it's a question that I think we really need to consider for a moment, a question that I think is going to make a a big difference in your life. What would you do for $100 million? Yep, yep. I don't have $100 million to give you, so, you know, it's purely hypothetical. But what would you do? And I have three scenarios that I'm just going to kind of, you know, ask you if you would do this in, in a simple head nod or a firm amen, whatever you want to do. It's it's welcome for right now. So would you give up the thumb on your offhand for $100 million? That'd be my left thumb. Yeah, Bill? Bill would do that? Good. Anybody else? Yeah, Patty? Good. Good. Yeah. How often do you use your left thumb? I, I use it for, like, typing the space bar, and I'm pretty sure I can figure out how to do that with the nub. So, you know... What else? Katie, a little bit? No, oh, she was pretending that she was doing that with the space bar. I get it, I get it. Okay, so that one, maybe, maybe not. That's fine. Scenario number two. Would you live alone in Antarctica for one year? Now, I know you Minnesotans think you're tough. <laughs> uh, but I hear you complain during the winter, and not every day in the winters like today, so... Take advantage of this, but would you live alone in Antarctica for a year? Yeah? Sure? Why not? I assume some of you some of you introverts might be a little interested in this idea. I don't see this as all bad. I don't. Interesting. How about this third scenario? This third scenario is would you give up your best friend? And that doesn't mean sacrifice them or anything like that. <laughs> It's not where I'm going with it. You just cease having a relationship with your best friend. Would you be willing to do that? Oh, it seems like all of a sudden that's too far. Okay. There's this famous philosophical saying uh, that I want us to consider. Everyone has a price. And I know this is getting into some weird territory. But the assumption is that we all have a point at which we will compromise our morality, which will compromise our morals. How much money would you need in order to be immoral? That's the real question. When you say things like everyone has a price, it's saying that there's a point at which you will be immoral. And it's meant to point out that simply the pursuit of wealth at some point trumps our pursuit of morality. If those two things were held up, they would be in opposition. Pursuit of wealth, pursuit of morality. And I have a suspicion. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I have a suspicion that we are all, on occasion, pursuers of wealth. And this morning, I want for us to consider that as we look at our passage. So we're in James chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up, and the rich in being brought low, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. It is the same way with the rich in the midst of a busy life. 
they will wither away. Two weeks ago, Patrick gave us a glimpse into the historical lens, the historical setting of James. Kind of believed that James, whoever wrote this book, is James, the brother of Jesus. And as such, this James would probably be familiar with some of the things that Jesus said, right? You know some things about your brother. That's, that's important. On top of that, the people that James is writing this to had been part of this thriving church that had all of a sudden had all of their stability ripped out from underneath them. And now they are suffering because of their faith. And some of that suffering we're going to look at this morning is economic suffering. So if James is the brother of Jesus and these people are going through this, James probably knew the things that Jesus said fairly well. And we know that Jesus had a lot, and I do mean a lot, to say about wealth. And so for a moment, we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus said about wealth in the Gospel of Luke. So the first place is Luke chapter 6, verses 20 and 24. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That seems striking, right? Jesus is saying the poor are the blessed, while the rich have already received their reward. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? What a terrible problem. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have had... You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Again, things that Jesus says are striking here. It's not what we might expect. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. The word there is mammon, and it's, uh, it's a strong word for wealth. Luke chapter 16, just a few verses later, Jesus is telling a story. There's a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. I love that word. This is another reason to use my translation, right? I feel like I've made that case this morning. Sumptuously. This man feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. Jesus is sparing no details in the telling of this story. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham, which feels like reward. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham! 
have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony from these flames. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Again, a story where the rich man has received already what he deserves, what he desires, what he longs for, but this poor man receives it after life. Luke chapter 18, a story that we're a little more familiar with. A certain ruler asked him, him being Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. You know these things. And he replied, I have kept these since my youth. Good for you. Jesus heard this and he said to him, there is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I would recommend you keep reading at that point, because he does give some solutions there. But all throughout Luke, and honestly, throughout most of the teaching of Jesus, when the rich and the poor are contrasted, they are contrasted in favor of the poor. In 1 Timothy 6.10, I think we all agree with Paul that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now church, I think we can make it easier on ourselves and simply say, Is it just that I love money? Is the love of money really the problem? I think we need to ask ourselves another question. How is our relationship with wealth? A few years ago, I'm pretty sure this was pre-Mica, so that's how we gauge time. We gauge it pre-Mica and post-Mica. It's, you know, do with that whatever you want. But a few years ago, I was searching for a ministry job. It was several years ago. It was before I ended up here. And I was given an in-person interview with this church that was out of state, and I knew that what I needed to do was dress my best. That's what they taught us in school. So apparently my best has just gotten worse and worse over time. (laughs) That's not surprising. But I was given this in-person interview, and I wanted to take my suit with me because I loved this suit. I'd been given a suit as as part of a groomsman gift, which was wonderful, and so I wore this suit all the time. But I did research, and I figured out that if I take my suit, it will be completely wrinkled by the time I get to Pennsylvania, where I was going. And so I did my research, and I found at Men's Warehouse, they had this specific type of bag that allowed you to roll up your suit. And if you did this, it's not supposed to get wrinkled. News break, it still gets wrinkled. So there you go. But Abilene, Texas, 
I lived in Cisco, Texas, so Abilene, Texas did not have a men's warehouse. So I had to drive all the way to Fort Worth, which was about an hour and a half away, which really isn't that far, but I had to drive over there. And so I go into this store to get my bag. I know what I'm going for. I know what I'm after. And I find it. And I start to walk to the checkout aisle when I notice something. I notice this blazer. I I know. (laughs) Seriously, Jordan, you've got to get help. Agreed. But I noticed this blazer, and I don't, I don't have this color blazer. It was a blue blazer. It was navy. I think it looks great. And so I walk over. I take a look at it, try it on, and I think it looks excellent. Like, you just have those moments where you're like, this is me. This is me. This is me at my finest. And the salesman, whoever he was, was doing a great job of convincing me that I was 100% correct. Like, you have never looked better in your life. Agreed. My wife is going to be so happy with this purchase. So, I agree to take this jacket. Went in for a bag, agree to take the jacket. But he lets me know that today is special because today is buy one, get one, 50% off day. <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, am I going to come in here and waste this incredible discount? How can I do this? And so I find another jacket that's not quite as good as the first. It's really not. And now I realize it's a pretty ugly jacket. <laughs> But it's not quite as good, but I think it's great. And this salesman, I'm telling you, whoever he is, did his job well, really well. And so, try these on. I decide to take these jackets. I buy the bag and the two jackets. And so, I get in the car, and I call Lindsay before I leave. And I let her know that I'm on my way home. I also let her know that while I went in to spend $40 on a bag, I spent $640. (laughs) on a couple of jackets that I just could not pass up. And one of them was 50% off. I'm not all that good with money. Yeah, I'm not. Because I know with money I can get the things that I think I want. And that's important distinction there. The things that I think I want. I like to have money, but the minute it's in my pocket, I need to spend it. And my relationship with wealth is not good. My relationship with wealth is often not God-honoring. Whatever the circumstances of James were, the text seems clear that those who are rich have a very poor relationship with wealth as well. So when we read, it is the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they wither away. What are we supposed to notice? Seems that James is making a claim about how someone gains wealth. And I think this is very important. He's not talking about stumbling across $100 million up in your attic as you're looking through old picture frames. He's not talking about just this happenstance occasion. He's talking about in the midst of a busy life. I think the way we might should understand this is that James is concerned with our pursuit of wealth. I think it goes back to where we got started this morning. Everyone has a price. James is screaming at us. 
Do not compromise your morals. Do not compromise your ethics. Do not compromise your faith in order to become rich. These poor, and I mean poor Christians, are tempted to become like the rich. These people are down and out. They're unable to feed their families. They're unable to provide shelter. And they're having to rely on others and take, to take care of their family in the midst of their most basic needs. And they would not have problems if they were rich. How tempting must it have been to pursue wealth? This is, to me, where James gets really, really interesting. Throughout the rest of the book, James claims that the rich are facing judgment because they've dishonored the poor, they've oppressed the poor, they've drugged the poor to court, they've blasphemed Jesus, they've kept back wages from the poor while living in luxury and fattening themselves. And ultimately, they stand condemned because they had condemned and murdered the innocent. James is drawing a distinction found elsewhere in Scripture that the poor are righteous and the rich are unrighteous. And I believe, I, believe me, I understand how we can take that too far, saying it's only righteous to be poor, it's only unrighteous to be rich. That's not what I'm trying to say. Not all poor people love Jesus and not all rich people are murderers. I get it. But could it be that the riches we lust after would not be a blessing to us, but rather a curse. Church, I believe that the allure of wealth is a facade. The allure of wealth is a facade. It's something that we want to chase after. It's something that we think will make our lives better. But riches are like a facade. You remember in The Wizard of Oz? So, yes, I know all of you remember The Wizard of Oz. But they follow this yellow brick road and they get to the wizard. And, and there's all this, there's all this you know, fascinating scenes and they hear these sounds. There's thunder and there's uh, these lights and all this stuff going on. But do you remember as Dorothy gets there, when she finally gets there, Toto, the dog, runs back behind this curtain and finds out it's really just a man. It's a facade too. She did everything to get to him, only to find out that the wizard is no wizard at all. Just all flash and no substance. I think that's what wealth is. A few years ago, Lindsay and I were offered a free cruise vacation. It was super exciting. We went to a meeting with a salesman. Okay, so there's a caveat. You've got to go to this meeting. So we're like, well, duh, we're going to the meeting which again was in Dallas, which was two hours away, so brilliant. So we go to this, and we said, sure, go to the meeting. The salesman is trying to see if we would purchase a timeshare property. Yeah, I know, lots of, yeah. For those of you who don't know what a timeshare property, you buy a place that you get to stay at one week a year. Maybe a little bit more, depending on what you pay for it. Brilliant. First year was only going to be $1.00. Right? Like 50% off was great for me. One dollar? Come on. On top of the timeshare, we get the free cruise. So, speaking our language. It would be great. We could have had our annual vacation to that same place in Galveston, Texas every year. 
But then I saw this commercial, and Mike, this is, this is the video that, that I wanted. Placing your mailbox every week really starts to add up, but there's an easier way to stop paying maintenance fees. Call Timeshare Exit Solution to avoid paying your maintenance fees and get rid of your timeshare. Call 1-800-820-8888. That's 1-800-820-8888. The allure of this timeshare idea, the allure of a free cruise and the $1 for the first year it was there, and, and for me, and probably nobody else, it was strong. But I knew, I knew it was an allure. I knew it was fake. I knew it was a facade. Imagine that you have one of those brand new refrigerators that we see on TV. Brand new, huge refrigerator. It has the touch screens and the videos. It's the one that Micah wants to go play with when we go into Home Depot, because it's like a video game. They have deep shelves, and, and it's just really fancy. It's everything you could ever want in a refrigerator. And so imagine that this fridge is stocked with all your favorite foods, fresh veggies, fresh fruit, those great cold cuts that you can get sometimes, fresh meat, all the dairy you want, eggs and bacon, and I know you're all hungry now, so you're welcome. Let's say you eat two meals a day for 10 days from this fridge. But you only get through about half that food. What happens to the rest of it? You got to throw it all away. It goes bad and it gets tossed. That is what wealth is. How many of us have a closet so full of clothes that we don't even wear everything in it? That is wealth. How many of us have storage units full of our junk that we don't need and don't use, but for some reason cannot get rid of? That is wealth. How many of us have more TVs than we use? That is wealth. I have three TVs, and I only use one, so I'm not letting myself off the hook here. How many of us have more cars than drivers? That's wealth. Church, we pursue wealth. As humans, we do. But do you know what happens to wealth? It disappears. It goes away. It erodes, and it only lasts for a while. The pursuit of wealth will not make your life better. Because the allure of wealth is a facade. So I want to offer you two challenges this morning. Two challenges that I think will be really helpful for us. First one is simply this. Evaluate how you pursue wealth. I think all of us in our own particular ways pursue wealth. 
So I, I invite you to take some time, maybe even today, to evaluate how you pursue wealth. If life groups are using the sermon for, dis- for discussions, talk about this together. I think this might be a good idea. Where are you pursuing wealth? Are you working more than you should? I know that's a strange question. I'm not lazy, I, I, I think. Um, but I think it's a question of our priorities. Do you have so much money in savings that you've forgotten what you are saving for? It's not an accusation, it's a question. Take some time this week to evaluate how you pursue wealth. Challenge number two, and this one's a little more specific. Get rid of something. I think all of us probably have more than we need. And and if I'm wrong, good for you. But most of us do. Our stuff can inhibit our pursuit of God. Your stuff can get in the way of your pursuit of God. And so this week, as an act of devotion and worship, I challenge you to get rid of something. If your closet has more clothes than you wear, get rid of them. If you have more technology than what you regularly use, get rid of it. Maybe you can find a place to take it where it will get used by someone who actually needs it. But recognize for yourself that you do not need it and get rid of it. James seems to be making it clear that wealth is not the solution and it is not worth pursuing. So James doesn't leave us wondering what we should pursue. In James chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The same temptation that these people James is writing to is right before us. We are tempted to pursue wealth, but we know what James knows. The allure of wealth is a facade, while the crown of life that we pursue is ours, if we just endure the temptation. So, to simply put what we've talked about this morning in two succinct sentences, here we go. Do not pursue wealth, pursue the crown of life. And I think we will be the better for it. I'm going to hand it over to Paul, and we'll be dismissed in just a moment.